Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. So uh, I got home from um, a little summer break and the uh, staff, the younger staff, uh, all the staff is younger now that I think about it, um, informed me that it was time to move on, that we had uh, been through the last couple of years. You've been through the last couple of years. It's been a couple of years, right? And it's time to move on. And uh, so they, they said, we got a new season coming, but they felt strongly that, that we needed to stop and celebrate that we made it through the last couple of years. That we as a church, we as individuals, we made it through. And some of us got some scars left over. Some of us got a little limp, you know. But we made it through. We want to celebrate that. And one of the things we realize is we're not, we're not good at celebrating. Uh, we want to get on to the next thing. We look at the next agenda, get to that. But first we need to realize, celebrate how good God is. And help us have the courage to take that next part of the journey, that next season of ministry and impact. And uh, so this series is uh, after party. After God works, you need to party a little bit. And Christians aren't very good at partying because we think it's wrong somehow. You know, we got the little Puritan thing left over or whatever it is. But I don't know if you've noticed, but Jesus used to go to parties. Went to a wedding. He actually provided the wine for that particular wedding. He would be having, matter of fact, he had dinner with so many people that he not only, they didn't think that religious types didn't think he should party. They didn't think he should party with those people, especially. And if you read it in the King James, there were people, the religious types accused Jesus of being a glutton and a wine bibber. You figure out what that means, right? And uh, the reality is, is that Jesus didn't just kind of, he wasn't just silly out there doing silly things. He was always partying with a purpose. It was to give God glory and to help others know God. And so one of the things I think we need to learn to do is, is to kind of party a little bit, all right? Because here's the deal. Uh, the religious types are always very uptight. And you got to be uptight when it's up to you to earn God's favor, right? When you're trying to impress God, you got you to be uptight because that's serious business. But as a Christian, we have this wonderful gift that we are, received, we are received in his family. We are forgiven because of God's goodness, not our merit, not what we've done well. And so we can relax and we can enjoy the gifts we have been given by God, not only salvation, but all the other gifts. And so today I want to talk about being better at partying or rejoicing, being rejoicers. Maybe that's the word. It's probably not. A few weeks ago, I was at a, I told you, um, I don't think I told this service. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was at a, at a uh, pastor's retreat. And I, I don't go to a lot of those because I don't get invited. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I was at this retreat and uh, it was down southern, southeast United States. And uh, there was a bunch of good old boys there. And, uh, and it was funny. There was this one guy, particularly from Mississippi. This guy made me laugh so hard. I couldn't breathe. I finally said, stop, stop. I can breathe. Stop. Just stop. He was just telling me, so we were talking about you mostly, our congregations. No, that's not true. He was just telling me stories about his life and about how he grew up. Just the funny stuff. And I realized, and, and, and I'm going to tell you more next month in the next series we're going to do about some of what happened at that event. And, and it was so life impacting for me. But one of the things I realized is that I, we were sitting around after dinner around a fire. It was in uh, South Carolina. We didn't need a fire. It's hotter than blazing. I don't know why we had a fire. I don't know. I thought it was the mosquitoes. Then I realized it was a propane fire. So I, didn't, I don't know what was going on, but we had a fire. And so we're sitting around we're telling stories and I'm laughing and it was just, and I realized why it was so special to me is that because since COVID outside of my own immediate family, I haven't spent a lot of time with the people I normally spend time just being with. 
You know, the guys I have breakfast with, I have, that whole thing has been disrupted. And I realized that might be the first time uh, since the COVID thing happened that I just sat back and <clears throat> had a laugh. You know, I just had a laugh. My, uh, my late uh, father-in-law is the greatest guy. And, uh, and he used to, his phrase was, oh, I just had to laugh. And it was a way to introduce a story. Uh, but uh, I realized for him, uh, he had to laugh. It was, it was a value. It was something he needed in his life. He needed to laugh. And I realized that you and I need to celebrate. And, there are, and it's hard for us to celebrate. We don't celebrate well. We don't rejoice well. It's not who we are because we live with constant adrenaline flowing through. We're in constant fight or flight mode because the world we live in, and it's all reaffirmed by the media we watch, and uh, the world is a scary place, and you've got to be on guard, and all this stuff, none of which is taught in Scripture, by the way. None of which. And so today, I want to help us be better at partying and not be the general, you know, religious types. We're, we're, we're better known for being wet blankets than the life of the party, right? And I read someone said, Jesus is, what is he? He's, uh, what, he's the life of the party. Well, I'm not sure that's true, but he, we as Christians can bring life to a party, right? Instead of being wet blankets, we can bring... I read someone wrote a quote about Christians. Uh, they seem to be very kind to people, but they seem sad, I'm like, what do we have to be sad about? Of all people, we don't need to be sad. And so uh, I want us to be different. I want us to live a different life. And so by the way, I did a little word search um, and a little word study in the New Testament about the word rejoice. And I want you to listen to what it says, because every time the word rejoice happens, it's never a suggestion. Like if you've got a spare Tuesday afternoon, rejoice. You've had a really great day, rejoice. If things are going your way, rejoice. No, no, it's not a suggestion and it's not circumstantial. It is a command. Every time, it is a command. And it's not based on your circumstances or where you are in the world or what time in your life it is. It is a command. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. It's a command. Rejoice always. So, well, that's kind of a hard thing to do. Well, it goes on to tell you how to do it, by the way. If we're going to... And so this first point is about changing our mindset to realize in the life, so all of our life is about something. There's a theme in everybody's life. I know some people who had terrible upbringings and their theme is that they're a victim and they are. Uh, uh, that, that's, but that's their theme. It doesn't have to be their theme. Um, some people, their theme, if they're really to be honest about the theme in their life would be anger. Or some people it's bitterness. Some people it's fear. Some people it's greed. What is the theme of your life? The Bible says that at least one of the themes is to be, I rejoice. That's what I do. Wherever I go, whatever I do, I rejoice. I'm not going to ask you if that could be said of you today because I already know the answer. By the way, most topics I talk about, I've got nailed down. I'm really, I'm, you know, I'm almost perfect most of the things I talk about. <laughs> this one I struggle with so much because it is so counterintuitive to the way I think about the world, about the world I live in. It is so counterintuitive. And so I think it's important for us to learn how to live out this command. So rejoice. How do we do that? Well, it says pray continually. Evidently, you can't pull this off on your own. Evidently, if you're going to be a rejoicer, it's going to take God's help. Who knew? It's going to require God being with you at every moment. Pray continually. So I get up in the morning and I say, I'm going to be a rejoicer today. God, with your help, I'm going to be, I say it in faith. <laughs> God, with your help, I'm going to be a rejoicer today. And then it says pray continually. And give thanks in all, not for all circumstances. That would be silly. In all circumstances. 
give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I hear people all the time, well, I don't know what God's will is. Well, are you doing this part of God's will? Because when you're doing this part of God's will, you'll find the rest of God's will a lot easier to, to come, come up on it or understand or follow through on it, right? So for me, this looks like I get up in the morning and pray, and I have to write my prayers because uh, I'm a simple guy. I just kind of, you know, I just have to see things. Like these notes, you couldn't preach from these notes. Uh, but I can tell by look at these notes, by the color I have on there, how many illustrations, if it's balanced with scripture, with, and it's, it's good. And this is a good one, by the way, just by the colors, it's a good sermon. So you're in for a good sermon. Um, in my, in my prayer time, I have to visually not only type out my prayers because I get distracted and not all my prayers are typed, but I, I, I prefer to type my morning prayers. And, um, and I, I have to, and I've told you about this before, I have to make myself not make petitions of God, ask God for anything until at least the third or fourth paragraph. Okay. Not my screen's not that big. I'm just illustrating. It's this big and it's here. Okay. So, um, because as I've told you before, my thing is I, I want to start right off with, Hey God, you're not going to believe what I need today. I got this. Uh, and, and it's not what I need to start off with. Cause that's not the most important. Cause remember the old thing about the tyranny of the urgent. We spend all of our time on the urgent, but we miss the important. Do you know that quadrant thing there? No, you should look it up. It's good. Um, so in my prayers, I have to get to the important so that the urgent gets in its proper place. Okay. So, uh, um, Lord, this is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's how I start all my prayers. I will will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, that's the last thing I want to do because I want to talk about these prayers down here. I want to talk about these things God needs to fix. These people are bugging me, right? Right? These things that aren't going right. I need to get to that. But I've already just said I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. How am I going to do that? Because I'm I'm, I'm way apart. I'm way apart from that. But I start with, God, this is who you are. God, you are good. God, you are faithful. God, and I talk about God's character. And before long, I start rejoicing that I have a relationship with God. Right? And so I've gone from concern and worry and all this stuff to now I'm rejoicing because I just said I would and now God's helped me do it because I'm thinking about God. I'm writing about God. I'm praying to God about God. I am rejoicing. And then my the next section is I, I thank God for not just who he is, but what he's done for me. And now I'm glad he's my God because he's given me, he's given me salvation. He's given me heaven forever. He's given me an incredible wife and, and kids and, and well, one of them is great. And, uh, <coughs> and so And so now I have done what I just said I was going to do. I am now rejoicing in who God is. I am glad that God has been good to me. And then I need to tell the truth about me. Lord, here's the the stuff. I'm I'm sorry, confess the truth about my stuff. And then, and after all this important stuff has been dealt with, my mind is ready to go, okay, now here's the urgent stuff. Because the urgent stuff is rarely important. I'll rarely remember it 10 years from now, five years from now, a week from now. But it's very important to me today. It's, very, it's not. It's urgent. And so I do this. So what does it say? It says rejoice. So you make it top. I'm going to choose to rejoice. Pray continually. It comes through prayer. Rejoicing comes by prayer. Reminding yourself who God is. Talking to God. It comes from that. And then giving thanks in all circumstances. So you want to be a rejoicing person? Because I just told you the Bible wants us to be people who rejoice. That's the command. How you do it? You got to pray. You can't do it on your own. You have to pray. And you have to remember all the goodness all the good things that God has done in your life. And you start remembering that. We sang songs about it this morning. Trevor talked about it. Remembering what God has done so I can anticipate what he's going to do, okay? So uh, it has to be a lifestyle. It's a change of mindset about expectation of what my life is really about. And then in Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Now, Cody talked about this last week. 
But I don't think you caught it. I was watching and you didn't catch it. You, you, didn't ca- you, you just didn't get it. So I'm going to hit it again because I think it's really, really important. All right. Rejoice in the Lord. There it is. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, be in every, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. By the way, did you hear what I just read? So I read just earlier, rejoice, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Now I just read, uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in, by, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, it's all the same elements. It's all the same ingredients, okay? Present your request to God. And here's what's interesting, the outcome. It's not a formula. It doesn't, notice the next phrase, it does not say, and because you've done the right formula, you're going to have peace. It doesn't say that. What does it say? And the peace of God, it's God's peace. It is a gift from God, which we sang a song earlier that said, peace that makes no sense. This gift is not formulaic. It is not that if I do this and this, then I'll get peace. It is if I do this and this, I am connected with God in such a way, he will gift me peace. He will give me peace. So it goes on. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Here's your problem and mine. We want, to be, we want to be people who rejoice, but we have such garbage in our brains. Let me tell you, you live in a fallen world. Every message you get, every, every commentator, every newscaster, everybody is telling you bad news. And if you're ever going to live as a rejoicing person, a rejoicer, if you will, you are going to have to intentionally steer away. Have you ever driven a car that has a flat tire on the front? What does it do? It auto steers toward the broken part. That's what we do. We auto steer toward the broken part. We live in a fallen, a fallen world. We are fallen people and we steer toward our fallenness, which is fear, which is anxiety. That's why we live on alert all the time. Our adrenal glands are shot because we're always in flight or fight mode at every minute. If you are going to live the life that God intends, you're going to have to fix what's broken. (laughs) We'll talk about that next week. And steer into the other things, the true, the lovely, the pure, the things that are listed here. You're going to have to put in place structures that will help you steer away from the brokenness, away from the sadness, away from the fear and the anxiety, and into God who is good and who has a plan for you forever. We've got to be intentional about that. So what does it say here? It says to be gentle. Gentleness is about strength and confidence in Jesus. What he has done before, he will do again. I can trust him. I don't need to react to every whim, everything that comes along. I'm not steering into that. And then it says, um, prayerful, don't be anxious. And by, so this is important. It's a little freebie here. It's not really in the notes, but um, so I'm not going to charge you. So in, in this thing about being a, a, a rejoicer, if, if I want to learn to rejoice, it has to be authentic. So don't, don't fake celebrate. Don't fake your, don't pretend to be joy, uh, joyful or uh, don't do that. Don't do that. They'll be silly They're, because there's a way to actually get there. All right. So imagine you sit down at dinner and you got your kids with you. By the way, having dinner with your kids is one of the most important things you can do. 
And you pray over your meal, which is also a great thing to do. And you say, Lord, I just want to thank you for this meal. Thank you for my family. And so God, and then amen. And then you look at your wife and say, meatloaf? Again, I hate meatloaf. Well, that would be dumb. None of, no man would ever be that insensitive to ever do that. But that would be dumb, wouldn't it? Because you've just thanked God for the food, and now you're telling your wife how awful it is. It just doesn't make any sense, right? So, so why would we put this, this legality on ourselves of trying to rejoice, but I don't feel like rejoicing. I don't want to rejoice. Well, here's what I'm going to suggest you do. Just as an example I gave in my prayer time, well, I go, pray your way to authenticity. Pray. Enumerate the ways God has been good to you. Articulate God's character. And by the time you're done talking about how great God is and how good he's been to you, you will be rejoicing. So you don't have to fake it. That's why it talks about prayer here. Pray your way through to authenticity, to be a rejoicing person. And then you can be at peace. Um, last week, Cody said that you don't always, uh, can't control your feelings. But if you control your focus, your feelings will follow. Right? Did you catch it when he said that? I think that's absolutely true. I think that's absolutely true. And, and it was such a good point, I repeat it because I want to make sure you got it. So let's think about this thing. Our focus, that's why he says, think about Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever. Now, as I read these, I want you to think about our world and where you would find these. You might find it difficult. Here we go. All right. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Here's the thing. You're going to have to work to find those. Because A, they're not everywhere. We live in a fallen world, but they are there because God's presence is still among us. But you're going to have to look for them and you're going to have to discipline yourself to recognize them when you see them. Otherwise, you're just going to listen to everybody else listening to. You're going to listen to the messages of a fallen world which tells you the sky is falling and everything's bad and you're in trouble and you ought to be fearful, right? So how do we do that? We just look for opportunities to find these things. So let me give you an example. Um, I have a, I have a uh, lovely granddaughter who is seven months old. I have four grandchildren, uh, and my grandchildren are better than your grandchildren, period. Let's just accept that, okay? And she is especially incredible at, at uh, seven months old, and um, she is, un and, and I'm the world's greatest papa. I am. She and I voted, and I am the world's greatest papa. The other night, she's there. She's in her bouncer. She's bouncing up and down her new discovery. She can bounce up and down the bouncer, and she's just going crazy. And I come in the front door, which is quite a ways away, and, but I can see her, and I can see her back there. And all of a sudden, she hears me close the door, and she stops. And she starts looking around. And it's because she knows somebody's come in. She's figured that out. That noise means somebody's coming. She's trying to find who it is. She doesn't know where it is, but she's fine. And then she spots me. And this grin, I am telling you, it, the, the purest... So, I mean, because I don't, I don't bribe her in any way yet. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Oh, yeah, don't kid yourself. It is coming. But there is no reason for her to grin. I'm not going to give her anything. I'm like, except that she knows I'm the world's greatest papa. <laughs> she knows that. Let me tell you that little grin. That is one of the purest things I've ever seen. What would it be like for us to recognize that moment, not to just pass by and not to just pass it off as no big? It is huge. It is innocence. It is pure. It is, it is lovely. I want that moment in my brain more than I want whatever the president said this week 
or whoever's running next or whatever it is, I don't care. I want that moment in my brain because that reminds me of God's goodness, right? And so as I read through this list, it's a difficult list to find. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, it says the love does not rejoice and e- uh, does, not, does not approve or uh, appreciate. Let me read the exact word because I want to I get exact. Love does not delight. That's the word. Delight in evil, but rejoices. There's our word. When truth wins out. You see, when we see something that is of God, whether it is religious in nature or not, when we see that, we need to appreciate that. We need to value that. We need to lift it up. That's why when truth is told, whether it's a little child who admits that they took an extra cookie or whatever, he says, I'm just so glad you told me the truth because the most important thing is the truth. When we celebrate the good things that God has given us and we, and we, don't, ex- and we don't celebrate when those, so, well, it was just a little white light. No, it was a lie. So you can't celebrate that. Like, yeah, we always fudge it. No, you lied. Right? We, we, and when somebody else is like, well, it was just spent. No, it's a lie. And I won't tolerate that because I want to rejoice in the truth, right? And so we make it. So yeah, yeah, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but yeah, I used to watch television with my dad when I was a kid. And he'd say, kids, you know that's not true, right? You know that's not true, right? What they're saying there's not true. And he was raising the value of truth. As we raise the value of what God wants us to think about, the possibility for rejoicing is greatly enhanced. So it has to be a lifestyle. It has to be a mindset of rejoicing. The second thing is, is that rejoicing is rarely done just alone. It's, it, it, is a, it is a community thing. It, it's an important thing that we do together. Uh, uh, and as a matter of fact, there's a, there's a passage in Romans that says this. And I'll just read the first sentence, and then we'll return to the rest of it in a moment. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. What's interesting, most of us have heard this second part. We take the second part serious. We're not good at it. We're not good at mourning with those who mourn, but at least as a Christian, I ought to try to mourn with those who mourn. But we have never even given any intentional thought about rejoicing with those who rejoice. Because here's how we think about it. If you're like me, oh, I got to be there for them. They're hurting. They're oh, they're doing great. They're rejoicing. They got that. Maybe they've got that and maybe they don't. Maybe the balance of that is that. Maybe that stuff we're so afraid of because we haven't done enough of that stuff. When's the last time you rejoice with someone outside your family? You rejoice with someone. Who would you even rejoice with? Let's say you have a really excellent Tuesday. Who are you going to tell? I was realizing that my dad's been gone three or four years now. and I realized the thing I miss most. When I was younger, I would call him for advice and stuff, but now I kind of deal with stuff that he probably doesn't have that much insight in, and, and toward the later part of his life, I didn't call him for those things. Here's what I miss. I miss calling him and telling him some really fun stuff, like really good stuff, like rejoicing with him when I see something happen. I miss telling him that. If you have good news, who do you, I, I had this recently. I have, it's not really good. It could be good. Maybe someday it's going to be, it's a potential of good news and I can't wait to tell everybody. Who do you call when you've got good news? Because here's what I realize, is that you need people to share good news with. I got this in Africa. I think it was a gift. Um, It's called the tribal elders, but I call it the Seacoast elders because they all look exactly like this. But I brought this home for a reason. Because, and I brought it up today for a reason. I want to change your mindset of what celebration looks like. We often think of celebration because of big weddings, you know, the gold and, and the special table settings and everybody's, you know, whatever it is. But that there's other thing uh, that happen, 
And, and it's, and did I read John 21 yet? Did I read John 21 yet back there, guys? Let me read it for you. Because I want to I change your mind about what celebration can look like. It's not always a big, uh, I'm not used to doing three services. I just realized I forgot to read it. Anyway, uh, it's not always a big kind of formal thing. Let me, let me show you a celebration, a rejoicing that happened in Scripture. You sure I didn't read this yet? Well, it's going to be good. I'm going to read it now. Uh, afterward, Jesus appeared again. By the way, this is after the resurrection, and uh, the disciples are kind of, they've seen Jesus, so they know something happened there, but they know that their dreams of running the country and overthrowing the Romans is dashed. They have no idea what's coming next. They're really confused about the Jesus thing, how he got out of the grave and he's alive now. That's really confusing them. And so what do they do? They go fishing, right? If you're a fisherman, it's a great place to work things out, think things through. Besides that, that's what they did before they met Jesus. They just went back to fishing, okay? And so they're out there fishing. They're just trying to figure this whole thing out. And, and here's what happens, Okay. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out fishing, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to the friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for you taking it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There was fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I want to change your perception of what celebration can look like. Because I think this is a part of what we get wrong. Is celebration isn't just the big events, and those are fine, and the, you know, and whatever. It's not chandeliers and ballrooms. It is about pastor sitting around a fire in South Carolina. It's about Jesus around a fire with his disciples. It's about circles of celebration with people who could celebrate with you that you had a great Tuesday. Because those same people will mourn with you and you had a bad Wednesday. But we only think about the mourning part. We don't think about the importance and the value. And that's why that, that experience was so valuable for me is I had not spent, outside of my own family, not been spending time in circles of celebration. And the truth is, you need a circle of celebration. Let's think about, let's think about what happened here, all right? So, so Jesus, um, he's on the shore. Of course, uh, Peter jumps in, gets all wet, right? And everybody else thinks, okay, we could take a boat, Peter, but not Peter, because, you know, he's ready, fire, aim guy. And, uh, and so he gets in there, and, Je- and so what does Jesus do? He breaks the bread. Do you think that re- brings back any memories for them? And then he hands out fish. Do you think that brings back any memories for them? By the way, I don't know if you've ever smelled fish cooked on an open fire, it's, it's an unbelievable smell. Just walk by a fish company sometime. When I, was, when I was in college, I spent a summer in Portugal, and that's how they cooked all the fish. And to this day, when I smell it, it's just, oh, it takes me right back. So here they are, by the smell, by the actions, by all the, they're taken right back to their time with Jesus. 
This wasn't the first meal they'd eaten together. Matter of fact, in Luke 5, we found that that's how they started their time together, exact same kind of way, exact same scenario. He was reminding them of all that he had done and all their time together so that they could celebrate what was going to happen in the next season because what was going to come was crazy. <laughs> it was, what happened was crazy, but what was going to come was wild. And they were celebrating in that moment. See, I think celebration is more about more about sharing our lives. Can you imagine the disciples going, hey, by the way, Peter, you dry yet? What an idiot, he jumped out the boat, right? They, you know they had to give him grief. You know he's making fun of him because he got to the grave last. Hey, you going to work out a little bit, Peter? You're kind of slow, yeah, right? Don't you think there was that kind of stuff happening there? By the way, how many, uh, there's a reason I know the Bible's true. The details are unnecessary, but are always there. How far offshore were they? 100 yards, right? How many fish were there? 153. How do we know there are 153 fish? How do we know? So do you think, and I read this, I thought this was really cool. I read this this week. You think the disciples are going, yeah, Jesus, we'll be right there. I know you're resurrected and all this stuff, but I got to count these fish. Or do you think it happened more like this? Oh, Jesus, this is the best fish ever. Because you know, he has to be a good cook, right? Because he's Jesus. And this is the best fish. I wonder how many we got over there. And Jesus goes, 153. I mean, he arranged for the catch. Why wouldn't he know? I, I just think there had to be some funny stuff happening around there, right? As they were just remembering, you know, hey, do you, do you remember the guy, guy, guy's ear? Why did you even heal it? You should have just left it on. I mean, that would have been my joke, but I'm not one of the disciples we could tell. But um, most of us don't have that. That's what dawned on me that night when that guy was telling the story to dawned on me later about that night, actually. I don't have that right now. Outside of my own family, I don't, I'm not experiencing that time of celebration together in a circle of celebration with friends who I can rejoice with right now. I, I've not gotten back to my habits, not back to my structures that provide that for me, and it's extremely important. So there's a couple of issues why most of us don't have that. Uh, one is vulnerability. We don't want to be vulnerable. Uh, at that same event, I'm going to tell you about it next month, but at that same event, um, I was asked to share and I got done sharing, and I kind of shined it on. I'm not going to lie to you. I kind of, I kind of, you know, put a nice bow on it. You know, like a sitcom, you know, at the end of the hour, everything's great. I kind of painted my life like that. And my cousin who was running the meeting, he gave me, he, he, uh, what he did was he called BS. And he said, really? Why don't you tell him about this? And, and I, I, I did want to share that, but I thought my motives were pure. I thought these guys had been through some tough stuff, and I, I don't need to add more to the thing. But he knew something I didn't know. And I later thanked him for it, calling BS on me, which I rarely do. And I, uh, I said, I get what you did. Because what happened was when I began to share the stuff I'd been through in the last couple of years, um, the room changed toward me. Because by being vulnerable, they understood I was willing to enter into a relationship. When I told the truth about me, See, I just want to shine out. I'm good. I'm great. But I wasn't in, I wasn't in the circle because I wasn't telling the truth about me. I wasn't being vulnerable. You see, the rest of this passage here in Romans, it's all about relationship. And relationship is about vulnerability. Listen to this. Uh, live in harmony with one another. Not something we believe in in America. Um, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. We fight our whole lives to not have to do that. Do not be conceited. That's the whole point of social media, isn't it? Um, do not repay evil, anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You see, the truth is that if we're going to truly be rejoicers, 
learn to make a, a lifestyle rejoicing, we have to do it in community. And to be in community, we need to be vulnerable with each other. We have to let our guard down. You see, we live in a world that teaches us to live like this. Just, just think about your demeanor when you go into a grocery store. We live our lives like this. Jesus lived his life like this. You want to be a rejoicer, you're going to have to change positions. We're going to have to learn to open up. It's not just about being vulnerable. It's about being also available. Um, so last Sunday, I had an embarrassing thing happen. I know I've had a lot this week too, but that was what I'm going to tell you about. And uh, I was in the CLC, and I was watching uh, them get, uh, get ready to start uh, Rooted. And I was just standing in the back observing. And a woman from the church who uh, I, I now, I'm glad she did this, came to me and she said, you know, if you smiled, more people would talk to you. And I, and I said, if you mind your own business. <laughs> I didn't say that. I went on to explain that I just had dental work, didn't feel like smiling, whatever. BS, by the way. Um, and uh, I realized that during the week, I, it wasn't dental work. I didn't really want to be available to anyone. In that moment, I want to observe what they were doing so I can give them input later. I could critique how it went, maybe some improvements, whatever. I was in business mode, and I really wasn't interested. I met a, a famous pastor years ago. And my, my same cousin met that same pastor in a, in a different setting. And my cousin said it best. He goes, yeah, I realized very quickly he doesn't need any more friends. And I realized that many of us, including me last Sunday morning, go through life making sure people know we're unavailable, unapproachable, and uninterested. But when we do that in the body of Christ, we can become who Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to be interested in each other. Matter of fact, he wants us more interested. He wants us to be loving each other. He wants us to be carrying, sharing each other's burdens. And yes, indeed, he wants us to rejoice with one another. Something good happens, who are you calling? I hope it's not one person. I hope there's a circle of celebration in your life. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to make that the assignment for this week. This week, purpose, choose, make it happen. That you sit in a, even if you just have to invite some friends over and tell them what you're doing. That you sit in a circle of celebration and you affirm and encourage the people in your world and you celebrate. Even if it's as cheesy as I have to bring a joke book to get a laugh out of these people. Even it's as simple as sitting and watching a sunset together. If we didn't learn anything else during COVID, isolation kills. Spiritually, isolation kills. If we want to be rejoicing kinds of people, party people, you need a circle. And if you don't have one, find one. If you don't know how to find one, go to moms together if you're a mom. Join a rooted group. Join a Bible study. Go to CR. Do something, but you got to get in a group. Otherwise, you're just spending the rest of your life fending off the fear and the anxiety and the worry of a fallen world. When the whole time you could be rejoicing in a victorious life because Jesus has you and you love Jesus and you love his people and life is worth it. See, God is good. He absolutely is good. And if God is good, I can rejoice. Let me end with this. I was, uh, I was um, watching an interview. Did I tell you about this yet, the interview part? I've got to follow my interests more closely so I don't get lost. 
This three service thing's throwing me off. I was watching a thing and um, YouTube. It was, it was an interview between uh, a Christian interviewer and a Christian author. And I think the, the title was something like why the American evangelicals have lost their mind, something like that. Something, nothing important. And uh, so, and, and, I, and it was a good interview. I didn't agree with everything that was being said, but it was thoughtful and I, okay, it's something to think about. And then I made the mistake of reading the comments. I shouldn't have done that. Satan tempted me and I bit. And uh, so I read the comments and what was an internal discussion within Christianity were suddenly being commented on by people who had no clue what Christianity was about. Matter of fact, had no clue in general. They'd been pretty much living in their mom's basement for the past 30 years. Not that I'm judgmental about it, but <laughs> comments like, why would we even listen to these people? They believe in a myth. Referring to Christ. Others were more articulate about a man who died somehow in Paxis. And in my younger years, I would have gotten mad. But as I read those, I, I got sad. I got sad for that person. I wasn't tempted to write. I'm not that stupid. But I thought, what if I ever met a person like this? What, what could I say to them? Maybe I would say something along the lines of, no, the, the myth that I find hard to believe is that if the world just is an accident, that you somehow think there's going to be meaning in life. There's no God, then there's no meaning. But if there is a God, there's meaning. And if there is a God, he's got people and a purpose for your life. And we discover the purpose for our life by walking with the people of God. Otherwise, we're just thrashing around trying to keep our head above water. Today, I just really want to encourage you. Find a circle. Have a party. Honor God. Encourage others. And let's be thankful. God is good. There's meaning in life. Therefore, I can rejoice. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. And we thank you so much. Lord, it's hard to understand sometimes the world we live in. And sometimes it's just so intuitive. It's the, it's the water we swim in, the air we breathe that just leads us toward that, that side, that, that fear and, and worry and negative. And, and Lord, help us because we have a relationship with you and we know the outcomes already. Lord, let us steer into you. Let us steer into those things you want us to think about. Let us steer into the goodness, the truth, the beauty. Lord God, that you have for us. And let us rejoice that this life is not just an accident. Let us rejoice that this life is not hopeless or meaningless or without purpose. Let us rejoice that you are real and that therefore there is meaning in our life. And we, every day, have a reason to rejoice no matter what else happens. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Hey, stick around. There's a taco truck out there. I want you to know I'll be down front. I'm going to be extremely available. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.